Think you need to compromise who you are to advance your career as a black or brown woman? Think again. Because there's a playbook for corporate America and those aren't the rules. But you won't find it in college or on the job. I know because I learned the hard way and now I'm here to show you how the game is played. Hi, I'm Linda Talaferro, the Vice President of Quality at a global technology company and founder of The Tea, The Extra Effort, where I help black and brown women like you change the trajectory of their career with one-on-one coaching, workshops, and this podcast, Being Brown at Work. If you want to know how black and brown women are navigating everything from microaggressions to being the only person of color in the room so they can blaze their trail through corporate America, listen now. Greetings, greetings, everyone. This is Linda Talaferro. And yes, it is my favorite time of the week, being Brown at Work Live. And as you see, I'm honored yet once again with another fabulous woman. And we're going to be talking about now, I know I titled this, Need to Bring Your Own Chair to the Table, but Anne had this perfect title, Innovating Your Way to Transforming the Table. And that's what we're going to be talking about this month on Being Brown at Work Live. So let me tell you a little bit about Anne. Anne Partington serves as the Tauber Institute Managing Director and Head of Industry Partnerships at the University of Michigan, go blue, Tauber Institute of Global Operations, developing next generation multidisciplinary operations and supply chain leaders. So you guys know, near and dear to my heart, operations. And of course, University of Michigan. Prior to that, Anne worked in the tech sector, commercializing translational technology into mobility startups and the accelerator space. Anne also has over two decades of global automotive leadership experience, another connection, automotive, across supply chain, program management, product development at Stellantis and General Motors, while leading organizational culture building initiatives and teaching professional development. Anne's lifelong passion has been in supply chain and operations with a focus on sustainability, innovation, DEI, and culture building, and was recently honored by being selected for the Society of Women Engineers 2022 Women You Should Know list. And I am so honored to know her. Throughout her career, Anne has actively worked to create inclusive ecosystems where differences are embraced and respected. Diverse representation is at the decision-making tables and individuals can feel a sense of belonging and thrive. Anne has many interests outside of work, including serving on volunteer boards, travel, mentoring, Toastmasters, and spending time with her family, including her rescue dog, the real boss of the household. And yes, we have a dog, not a rescue, but Marcello's the boss too. And welcome to Being Brown at Work Live. Thank you, Linda. It's such an honor to be here with you and have this time with you. Oh my gosh, Anne, the honor is all, all mine. I know when I reached out to you and you were like, absolutely, yes. And first of all, I was so honored back in the day when I did some some work with Talbert Institute and we connected then. And then when I reached out for this, you were like, absolutely. 
And, and I felt so blessed and honored for you to take your time out of your so busy, hectic day and all the awesome work that you're doing with the Talbert Institute on behalf of diversity, inclusion, and, and really transforming right? Transforming, innovating, and transforming the table. So yeah, but look, we talked about this, right? So let's start with today. So what, <laughs> what happened to today? So the reason why we're starting with this, everyone, is because Anne and I, you know, we just, we had a little, or she had a little glitch with, uh, with internet. And, and what really came up for us was our, idea, our, our sense as women in this space of perfectionism. And believing that we have to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed, everything is perfect, right? And share a little bit about what happened before we went live. So I was on my way home from work, leaving not quite enough of a buffer. I'm sure many of you cannot relate to that. And, uh, you know, enough time to make sure my setup and everything was done the night before. And I got home and um, my husband met me and said, you didn't answer the phone. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, there's no internet. And so I said, well, that's not very convenient. (laughs) I I sent Linda a rather convoluted email, which was basically a brain dump of what my thought was at the time, which was, I could go to go back to work or another site. My neighbor just left for an international trip. I'd normally just head over there. And in the process, the executor side of my brain is saying, I need to find some place now to get to, to set up. And the engineer part of my brain is thinking, well, is it the connection from the modem to the to the wall? <laughs> is it the ethernet cable? Is it the router? And of course, we should try to reset all of these things and make sure it works. So, um, and then simultaneously thinking about the fact that I really wanted to be here for Linda, uh, be settled and be ready and be able to show up with my whole self while my brain is trying to figure all this out. <laughs> Nonetheless, thank you, Linda, for allowing me to share that. And, you know, I think we oh. put on ourselves to. We want to be there for the people that we're working with and for and our colleagues and friends. And so sometimes maybe the the standard is raised a little bit high. Absolutely. And 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 that's why I wanted to open with this, because we do. Right. You know, and, and, and I think there's a little bit extra as being a woman of color. Right. That we both put on ourselves as well as society does. And maybe some parts of our upbringing, those expectations. And, and it's natural. I often say who we are personally is who we are professionally. And I don't think we should divorce ourselves from it because there's so much value in that. And the fact that you cared so much to send that email is everything. And, and you're right. We do set expectations for ourselves that can be a bit, a little much and taxing, but still it's rooted in the fact that we care and it's rooted in our passion, you know, to show up in our fullness of the value that we know that we bring. And as I go to that point, Anne, you know, as we open this discussion for this month, because you're going to join us again in a couple of weeks and share some, some, some really valuable tools and tips and advice for our listeners. But before we get to that point in a couple of weeks, tell us a little bit of your personal journey and how maybe some of those expectations early on either were challenging for you as you were trying to innovate, right? And transform your table that you are at today. Give us a little bit of background. 
Sure. So I'm the child of immigrants, um, first generation in this country. And I actually, little known fact is I didn't speak any English till I was four. And so my, um, you know, I am very fluent in Bengali and I really love the language. It's very melodic. It has 13 vowels and, you know, 52 consonants. Um, And Uh, it's just a really lovely language to speak in and also to listen to. And, and so, um, you know, from being at a young age, um, you know, we had a lot of friends who had immigrated. They were our friends and our neighborhood. I lived actually in Jersey was really a rich neighborhood of mixed heritage and ethnicity. Mm. And so you smelled different smells, you ate different foods and a lot of the introduction to different cultures and um, new friends and neighbors were through food culture, which was really, really beautiful. Um, And You know, I had probably what might be considered not a very wealthy childhood, but very rich in terms of experience. So Mm, um, my family had a a mustard brown Grand Torino that my dad loved. And um, we would take 12 hour road trips, you know, um, you know, when we first moved to Michigan back to Jersey. And um, I discovered that there was a, you know, ability to look at the seat foam because there was a small crack, which we made a large lot larger. And I think I had the beginnings of an engineer very early on. And there was this mysterious thing called a choke under the hood. And, you know, a lot of time with my dad, like tooling around that car. Wow. Um, And then, you know, we it we didn't have a whole lot of money. So when we were able to, my dad even took a loan sometimes for us to go back home to India to visit Mm. family. And so the richness of spending and my mom thought, well, winter is terrible here. So when we'll go, we'll go for four months. And uh, by the way, you can just figure out your homework. You're smart. So, wow. <laughs> wow. So I was really fortunate in having that immersive experience where I was there long enough not to really say that I've lived there, but I would be there long enough to forge pretty deep friendships and spend quality time with uh mm. Um, particularly one side of my family, when people would leave, I would always beg to go back and spend time with my grandmother. And, you know, it's odd, but I would go to India and I would learn about um, the rich culture and heritage, you know, of, let's say, Rabindranath Tagore. But at the same time, I would read Greek Greek mythology with my grandfather, who was in the services. So um, just a really interesting, I think, background now looking back. I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Because I had the chance to experience the warm heritage and culture um, that my parents grew up with uh, firsthand. Um, And then to bring that culture and some of those attributes, which live with me in a very um, a state of what I would call duality, because I own both identities. Yes. And I identify as both identities. Sometimes that puts me nowhere. (laughs) And sometimes... (laughs) You know, I I feel that I very much carry that richness of that culture and warmth and um, wow. heritage with me, and simultaneously have a deep love for my upbringing here and the opportunities that have been afforded for me. You know, in my community and friends here. So yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that this sort of sense of um, intersectional identities and how complex they are. Yes. I think I sort of became aware of that very young because I would go from one culture to the next and they were just so vastly different. 
Yes, absolutely. And as you know, when you when you got to the point in where you were you were your career had just started and you were acutely aware of the intersectionality since it happened for you so young, were there any challenges that you faced as you entered into the workplace, you know, trying to make sure that I mean that you lived in every part of yourself authentically? Did you run into any any challenges? Yes. Absolutely. Mm. One of them being um, around the fact that, you know, I grew up in a culture where the team wins. Okay. And Ah. it's really, really about the team. And so you do everything you can to support the team being successful. Now it's a given that individually people will work hard to achieve excellence. That's an expectation. And also because honestly, like, My dad came home every day and would ask, did we do our homework? Because it was sort of known that the way to be successful as an immigrant in the country was you had to get an education, which would then allow you to get a job. So that wasn't optional, right? And it was sort of, um, you really have to be grateful for every opportunity that you might have in your education, take full advantage of that. I still love libraries. Um, I went to New York uh, a few weeks ago and it was really, really hot in the summer, and I wanted to go to the New York Public Library. Everyone else wanted to go to a coffee shop, so I went by myself, you know, <laughs> and it was, I mean, I just really enjoyed it. The pictures of me are terrible because it was so humid in there, but there's mm. just something about being in spaces with books and knowledge yeah, and yeah. that ability to just harvest that learning. So um, I might have strayed a little bit off of topic here, but No, that's okay. That's okay. And you were talking about as you went into the workplace, the challenges you faced when you were, you know, just showing up as as the authentic self living in both of those spaces and the intersectionality. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was early in your career? Yes. So, you know, I think there was sort of this tug of being in a role where you wanted to show up as an individual contributor and being successful in mastering that. And at the same time, having other people's backs. And it wasn't really Mm. noticed as much until my career started to escalate. And that's when I really started to notice it because to me, it was all about locking arms with other others and elevating and amplifying the work of each in the yes. circle or group or whatever part of the team yes. community, right? Yeah. And that's not necessarily the way to get ahead. And I'm not saying mm. it is or it isn't, but mm-hmm. I think it really depends on your organization and how well that that's valued, right? True, true. Very, very, very true. Very true. It, it, every organization's culture is different, right? So what's successful in one space may not be so successful in another. And then for you, from a team perspective and walking arms, some places is like, look, we need you to know, we need to know, and what do you bring as we're talking yes. about to the table, right? What is it that you bring? And we need that to be prevalent in order to determine, oh yeah, she's the leader, she's ready for the next level opportunity, or she's a leader versus another organization might say, Anne's a great team player. And she's, you know, she's there and she supports when someone's not showing up or where there's a gap. And then she's focused on everyone moving forward. Every culture is different. Absolutely, absolutely true. And and, and to your situation, the fact that you were raised in an environment in a certain way, the team environment was really prevalent for you. So you on the personal side, team, 
is who professional side team showed up. And my listeners often hear me say, who we are personally is who we are professionally. There's really no way to separate that, I don't believe. I mean, unless you can somehow split your personality, which we don't want to do, right? And we want to make sure we can leverage the best parts of both, right? Such that we can holistically, authentically show up. So, Anne, you know, as you reflect and and, you, and, and and let's maybe move a little bit forward to what you do today and how you are able to help individuals break into operations supply chain, how you're able to, to really change the landscape, right? Create a different space or a better space, a more inclusive space. So tell a little bit about how you even got to this role. I mean, I was reading your bio and I mean, tech industry, automotive industry, now you're in higher ed and specifically at an institute. How did you get there? In in supply chain and operations, my absolute favorite space. Favorite thing. Yes, yes. In complete total disruption. So I get to use the high tech space, you know, and innovation work too. So yeah. I feel incredibly blessed and, and so humbled to be in this space today and mm. really, you know, have been focusing on paying it forward. So um, just very quickly, you know, I realized pretty early mid-career that I really enjoyed that intersection of multidisciplinary work. Mm. I loved having the engineering background. I loved being in supply chain and purchasing. And the fact that you could be sort of a hub to spokes of different parts of the organization yeah. and bring them together to solve really interesting challenges, whether they're operations issues of today, you know, whether it's a cycle time issue, a quality issue, um, we realized, hey, that this requirement in the in the statement of requirements wasn't correct. That's why this product isn't delivering what the customer actually needs or it's failing to really. Right, it right. And I really thrived in that um, type of environment. So, um, you know, from there, basically, I realized that that I sort of had a knack for innovating and creating uh, patterns and, and trying to figure out where there was disruption to how to sort of serve that. And when I went from General Motors to Fiat Chrysler, now Stellantis, my observation was that I was now working in a company that had been owned by four different entities in 10 mm, years. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And so I found that what was really interesting there was people sometimes identified with whichever era spoke to their heart. Okay. And so then that created a really great opportunity to figure out how do we weave together um, these different organizations that might, you know, sort of think differently or have had success patterns in certain ways and really bring them together to drive incredible forward-looking strategies. And so right. um, there was a, a, a executive there who said, um, I went to him and said, hey, I'm interested in doing more strategic work along with my core work. And he said, all right. And he sent me basically a test. And at the time, they called it a Destination 2020 team. And so I ended up getting selected for this commodity strategy group. And over time, we made it into a system and connected all of these you know, wow. disparate groups and, and sort of feeding um, at what at that time then became a system level, sort of a yeah. more of a tech roadmap as well as current status way of, of sort of conducting, um, you know, future purchasing decisions. Sure. Very fun. And uh, worked more on innovation space as a lover with a lot of my suppliers to, to get them in the box where they needed to be operational. Sure. 
So I visited Ann Arbor and started learning about the tech space here. And, uh, you know, a friend here teased me and said, you really belong here. You need to come into this space. You could bring a lot. You wow. can always go back. And and so um, about a you know year later, someone reached out and, and said, hey, would you be interested in this position? I said, no, I, I really don't think I'm ready. I'm not you know, I'm very happy where I'm at. And and uh, they came back again and said, why don't you give it a try? And so yeah. I did six months. Awesome. Before COVID. Six months. Awesome. Before COVID. <laughs> wow. Six months before COVID. And now that you're in it, because I know, Anne, you and I have talked about this before, right? I know one of the focuses that you have is really filling the pipeline of supply chain and operations such in a way that drives diverse diversity and inclusion. Right. Because we know in those fields, most of the time it, it's not so much. Right. It, it, I know in my space and being an automotive. Uh, I tend to not see as a lot of people that look like me. I'm focused in quality, tied to operations. So, and I know the Tauber Institute is real intentional around, you know, shifting the the landscape and really putting talent right and 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 talent should in order for teams and companies to be successful. And we read about this all the time. It, it, the more diverse from experiences and cultures and, and things that you bring to the table, right? That's how companies are successful. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your focus in that space based on your experience and how you see uh, the landscape of supply chain and operation shifting, if at all, you know, with regard to talent and diversification? Yes. Yeah, so, that's a really deep question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so here's what I can share. When I worked okay. in the startup space for a couple of years and COVID hit, I used every skill I had in my toolbox because I brought the two accelerators back online. And the CEO had total faith in me. I think partially because no one else had operations experience <laughs> at the company. So, you know, everything from working with a partner to develop software to bring people back to just facilities work to sourcing um, different materials and things that we needed to also then mentoring startups made me realize something that I never realized I had, Linda, which was working in supply chain and operations gives you incredible toolbox of skills. Because every time you go through a challenge, and it's typically a different challenge working with a different functional area of the company, you are building a skill set of understanding perspective and yes. how to solve problems. Many times you're working with global companies, you're understanding cultural differences, understanding how logistics challenges can occur, yes. political dynamics that might be at play that might introduce risk. And so your brain starts thinking in systems. And when I come back to the space today where we're at with talent, and I also reflect on the startup space because I am a huge fan of the startup space mm -hmm. or even disruptive technologies and companies, I think harvesting and helping the younger generation develop these multidisciplinary skill sets, whether that's they're learning, you know, getting lean training along with understanding how might local economic policies inform or put my sourcing at risk in the future. Mm -hmm. you know, when I make a decision potentially about reducing, let's say, for example, let's say there's a child labor risk. How do I ensure that there is a 
opportunity for that individual to bring an income to their family if that's yeah, what yeah. Come, right and so you start right. thinking about things from more of a holistic systems level and given the challenges we face today whether you're talking about batteries end to end life and that 70 you know it's three when they're done on a vehicle you still have 70% of the battery life left right mm-hmm. so you're going to recycle it or are you going to reuse it when we want our students and i think you know so many leaders out there have amazing diverse skill sets here at the Institute. We Institute um, that the engineering students get exposure to those business education and leadership skills and other types of structural skills that are needed for operations and supply chain work and beyond. I mean, some of our students go yeah. into consulting, mm-hmm. finance, et cetera. Sure. And then vice versa, you know, are our business leaders having enough of a STEM exposure? Do they understand and do they all have the analytics capability and to be able to walk on a factory floor and say, this could be my life's work. I might be super passionate about it. I need to understand how the product is created. What does that development pipeline look like? Where are their risks? Right, right. Right. No, that's great. And I think, you know, it, for the particular audience that's listening in now and, you know, they're uh, black and brown women and they're trying to, they're in the space that I'm in and they're aspiring to get to that next level. I, you said something I think is really critical and it's having that multidisciplinary experience. It's really making sure that you're fully prepared in that space and it's available to you and make, and then also too, it, it, it great Greatly, greatly benefits and makes a difference with the company that you're in that's affording those opportunities. Because I know I've been in several companies that afforded those exact opportunities. And as you were speaking, it it made me think back to my career. I mean, I've been in program management. I've been in supply uh, supplier development. I've been a buyer of purchasing. You know, I even had a little bit of EHS experience in part of my career. You know, although I'm a functional leader in quality, the multiple, dis- multiple disciplinary experience I've had has been invaluable. And I think we, as 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 women of colors, we're trying to, you know, innovatively transform the table. It's really critical, right, that we do our part to bring that expertise to the table, right? And then allow the systems, which of the Talbert Institute is creating and various other places are creating, allow the systems then, as we shift those as well, form that table that we are there ready to sit at, which I think is extremely, extremely important, which is the work that the Talbert does with the with the supply chain with younger people, but then also in the same time, like you said, on the flip side with the corporations as well, creating those systems in place, which I think is just phenomenal. And so we're going to wrap. I see this time. Every time I have fabulous guests like yourself, this 30 minutes just seems to poof, just blow by. So we're going to begin to close this session and because we've got part two coming up in a couple of weeks. I don't want to give away the nuggets from there for sure. But as we close this part of our of our session about transforming or innovating our way to transforming the table, is there something that you'd like to leave our audience with as maybe a final comment for just part one? We don't give away the nuggets from part two, though. You know, I think there's an opportunity for everybody to shift their narrative if that's what they really choose to do. And part of that is to lean into courage and have your community around you. So, you know, um, 
we all have the ability to create, uh, to communicate, to connect, and to be conveners. So I think mm. that's what I would leave the audience with is, you know, how do we lock arms with each other and with allies to be great conveners? How can we communicate what our needs might be, but also help others to create a space where they can communicate to us what their needs are? Yes. Um, how do we uh, create create that space for creativity and then also create those spaces where people can really come together with courage to, to drive change? Mm, mm. Oh my gosh, perfect way to end part two. So for those of you who, you know, you're listening to this session, you're like, oh my gosh, I've got so many questions, you know, things that Ann said that's kind of resonated with me. I I implore you to join us for part two because she is going to give us some tips and tools on how to do exactly some of that list she just shared, which was absolutely beautiful. I believe we do need to focus on convening. We do need to focus on locking arms and coming together. We definitely can shift the paradigm and rewrite the narrative. It's about us believing that we can and doing exactly what Anne just recommended, right? And that thought process and that mindset shift. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to do part two. But until then, and thank you so much. This has been phenomenal. My pleasure. Thank you, Linda. It's been such an honor to have this time with you today. Beautiful. Okay, everyone, until next time, take care now. If you found this podcast empowering and are ready to master the skill that can take you anywhere, get my free guide, Workplace Confidence, in the resources section of this episode.